Please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the joy of the gathering. We specifically think of many who are sick this day. We ask that you would minister to them. Even now, we thank you for the gift of technology that allows us to connect, at least in some way, um, when we are shut in at home. We ask that you be present with those who are sick, minister your good news to them, uh, even now. Lord, we lift up uh, the many from among us who are out of town at Young Life Camp this weekend, all the, all the leaders and all of the middle school students who are with them, uh, all 26 of them that are there at camp, plus leaders, we ask that you would uh, bless them this morning, encourage them in the gospel, bring them home to us safely this afternoon, we pray. Uh, we thank you that uh, we have so many, so many in our household, so many in our family, so many in our extended family that we get to gather and worship with us this morning. We ask that you continue to be kind to us and help us to hear from you, even as we've heard from you in song and in the scriptures. We ask that you would uh, minister to us this morning by the Spirit. Lord, help us to hear what you have to say to us and to us as a church. We need you to make that happen. Uh, we trust that you can do that. Um, and we put our hope and our trust in you this morning. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. So normally, normally this is where I say you can look in your pew Bible um, and turn to a certain page. That's the text that I'm going to be preaching. Uh, I'm actually going to start in the prayer book. So if you want to follow along a little bit, um, we're going to be walking through our prayer book service a little bit this morning, which starts on page 123. It's that red book in front of you. This isn't a sermon about the prayer book, but that's a, it, it might be something you want to look along with as we go. We just heard this in the gospel reading. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it, will save it. So as Logan said last Sunday, I can kind of poke fun at Logan because he's away at Young Life Camp right now. He said, Happy Lent. He said, Happy Lent. And he called that kind of oxymoronic. Uh, it's an oxymoron. Happy and Lent don't seem to go together. But I think he made a pretty good case for why they do. Why they do go together. And so in many ways, I'm following Logan's lead from last week. And I've been reflecting on our readings this morning, how they go from sort of this place of happiness and this place of Lent and back and forth. And some of the readings seem to be a little bit more of the Lentish readings, and some of them are happy and some of them are a mixture. And so that's where I've been, that's where I've been reflecting this week. So you can blame Logan if this sermon's bad. It's his fault. Just kidding, just kidding. So travel back with me 500 years in your imagination. So if you were to walk into any medieval parish church, and specifically in England, but this would be throughout uh, Europe, you would see above the chancel arch, okay? So chancel, this is an arch you would see right up there. Um, I think they would probably have vaulted ceilings, so there'd be a little bit more wall above the arch, okay? You would see above that chancel arch a painting of Jesus as judge in most parishes. 
Historians describe the oppressive emotional effect that this moralistic medieval strain had on parishioners. We can think of a lot of medieval imagery related to judgment and demons and angels and sort of this uh, imagination, okay? And that would have been right above you as you're sitting in the pew. Uh, one, one historian said that the whole machinery of late medieval piety was designed, and this is a really provocative phrase, to shield the soul from Christ's doomsday anger. Oof. That's kind of a heavy phrase. To shield my soul from Christ's doomsday anger. So imagine going into that church and looking up and the day of doom, as it was commonly called, looked down over you, not just in Lent, not just in Lent, but every Sunday. Happy Lent, okay? Happy Lent. Let's keep going in this reflection. Into this world of late medieval piety, in 1549, Bishop Thomas Cramer, the first archbishop of the Anglican Church, collected and organized and wrote the first book of common prayer. So this is 1549. And Cramer didn't need, he didn't need oppressive medieval practices or imagery to know the impurity of his own heart. And so he began his service as we begin our service every week with a prayer for purity, for a prayer for purity of heart. This is on page 124. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, no secrets are hid, and we ask him to cleanse us, to cleanse us outwardly and inwardly so that we could come with right hearts before him in worship. So Bishop Cramer's service continued, as ours does today, 500 years later, with the law of God. And so normally on Sunday, we do that by summary. I say, uh, hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says, you shall love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. This is the summary of the law. And if you look in your prayer book, in the rubric right above that, it says you can go to page 100 and you can do the whole Ten Commandments every Sunday if you would like. Um, and that's something that we don't do. We don't do that every Sunday. We don't do it very often, but it's especially appropriate during penitential seasons to remember, okay, there's a list, and there's 10 of them, and those 10 point to all the rest of them, but we can remember that there's a summary. There's a summary of the law, love God and love neighbor most Sundays, and this is followed because we've prayed this prayer for impurity, and then we've, we've come before the law of God, it makes sense that it's followed by the Kyrie, or else the Kyrie eleison, which means, Lord, have mercy. This is one of the most ancient prayers in the history of the church. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy mercy. And that makes sense when you come before the law of God and your own sort of impure hearts and thought and all that kind of stuff that you're bringing into the service. It makes sense that we would cry out for mercy, doesn't it? Okay, this is how we start. Then the lessons, then the sermon, that's the part where we're at right now, this part. Then we go to the creed and then it's more prayers and some kneeling and some confession of sin. And this was the everyday Sunday rhythm and it's our every Sunday rhythm as well. In the context of mid-16th century though, if you think about it in the context of day of doom above you and having this kind of liturgy, it, it feels different maybe. It feels a little bit different, right? 
impurity, law, mercy, please, mercy, kneeling, confession, right? There's a different kind of feel when we approach it in that way. It feels a little bit like Lent. Now, the BCP, um, the Bible is, is scripture orchestrated for worship. So, so Cranmer, in his imagination, as he's, as he's coming to into the presence of holy God, this is maybe what he would describe worship as coming face to face with the holy God. Cranmer felt his deep need for God's mercy, but, and this is really important, and we're making the turn here to happy. That's a lot of Lent, okay? So I'm holding together happy and Lent together this morning. Again, it's Logan's fault. It's Logan's fault, okay? So that's all the Lent. He, it, it's not just in his imagination, Cranmer, as we approach the holy God, that it's all somber all the time. He was before, and I think this is clear in his imagination and in our liturgy, he was before the face of God, the face of Christ who is looking upon us. So Cranmer had an experience of grace that captured his impure heart. And this is, this is all over the Reformers, the Continental Reformers and the English Reformers. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote from Cranmer's chaplain. This is Thomas Becken, not to be confused with Thomas Bacon or another Bacon. I don't know. Uh, it's B-E-C-O-N. That's not a typo. So this is Cranmer's chaplain in the 16th century. He sort of summarizes this reformed move towards grace, and he says it like this, as I may unfeignedly report unto you the effect of my heart. Verily, since that ye declared to us the goodness of of God the Father toward us through Jesus Christ. I have felt in my heart such an earnest faith and burning love toward God and His Word that me think a thousand fires could not pluck me away from the love of Him. I begin now utterly to condemn, despise, reject, cast away, and set at naught all the pleasures of this world wherein I have so greatly rejoiced in times past. You can see the turn. It's heavy still. You can see, you can see the turn, but the love of God is beginning to cast out this fear. So with the Reformers, Cramer had an encounter with love, with God himself, not a pseudo-love that gets rid of all of the holiness of God, not, not a pseudo-love that gets rid of all of the commandments or else the need to feel our brokenness and our impurity before him, but a love that a thousand fires could not pluck him away from. That's, that's, that's powerful language. At the heart of our Sunday liturgy, in just a few moments upon your knees, this is my favorite part of being a priest. This is my absolute favorite part. I get to both pronounce the forgiveness of sins that Jesus declares over us. That's what we call absolution. I get to pronounce that over you. And then, and here is the genius of Thomas Cranmer, I get to proclaim what Cranmer called the comfortable words. The comfortable words. Into this Lenten spirit, there's a happiness that breaks in. Into this place of repentance and confession and humility, it breaks in Come unto me, this is Cranmer, this is the older language. Come unto me, all that travail and be heavy laden, and I shall refresh you. 
comfortable words. So out of the oppressive day of doom, medieval piety, and not, again, this is important, not into this hellish idea of love that we live in that baptizes all of our desires as good. That's not... It's not like we're going to get rid of all the judgment and go to a place of no judgment. That's not what's happening here. But the love of God is breaking in to our brokenness. And that's coming together. This happiness and this Lentonness are coming together. Logan is right, guys. He's right. Cramer turned to face the merciful God as he... I can picture him imagining God looking down upon us and upon hurting humanity. And his first comfortable word, and I don't know if you pay attention to this, isn't about God. It's not about God. On our knees in confession, God gives his attention to our felt needs. He cares about how you feel this morning. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Is that you this morning? God the Son came to give eternal life, the comfortable words will go on to say, to save sinners, to advocate for you even right now. He's advocating for you to take upon himself and to turn away the wrath we deserve for our sins. This is what he does for us. And I'm so thankful that I get to pronounce this over us all. And everyone who comes with repentance for sin and faith in Jesus can receive this as a gift this morning. That's good news. It's good news. So after comfort, after comfort, so we go from confession and repentance and coming before a holy God, and then we receive absolution and these comfortable words we have. What do we have? Come on, Anglicans. What do we have? We have peace. We have peace, okay? I'll invite us to stand and not not greet your neighbor. That's not what we're doing, although that's kind of what we're doing. We are passing the peace. We have peace now. We have cleansing. We have reconciliation. All of these are ours. We're restored together in joy because of Jesus. This is what we're going to celebrate. So I love Bishop Cramer's comfortable words, and I love our liturgy. If you can't tell, uh, I really do. Lent can. Here's, here's the reality, though. Lent can feel like our liturgy might feel sometimes. It can feel a little bit heavy. It feels heavy. There's a lot of prayers. There's a lot of, there's law, and there's appeals for mercy, and Lent also brings in things like the practice more of the rite of reconciliation, of confession of our sins to a priest, or else fasting or kneeling, all this kind of stuff. It feels like our gospel lesson at the beginning. The Son of Man must suffer and die. This is sort of the necessary order of the gospel. He must go to this cross. But then, but then, on the other side of it, comfort. But then, resurrection, eternal life. This is every Sunday, and this is punctuated in a lot of ways in Lent. We pay attention to the first part. We pay attention to that, even as we recognize that comfort breaks in. Jesus came to forgive and heal your deep wounds, those things you know about, those things you don't know about, those things you're feeling right now that you're heavy laden with right now. He has come to rescue us out of our uncomfort. 
Whether someone has caused uncomfort to you, I'm making up a word, yes, English majors don't twitch. Whether whether it's something that's happened to you or it's something that you've self-imposed on yourself, sort of these self-imposed scripts of misery that we have, he came to rescue us out of that. He left his throne in the comfort of his father's presence to rescue us as we are out of, the, out of the presence of God in the garden, we're east of Eden in the barren wilderness of every idolatry that torments us. He was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. He entered into every uncomfortable part and every uncomfortable place into my impurity, my sin that torments me inside, the world that torments me from outside and the principalities and powers in the midst of this valley of the shadow of death. This is where he comes. So happy Lent, Christian. Happy Lent. Our readings this morning, go. they, they make these moves back and forth between uncomfortable and then comfortable and back and forth. They're heavy and then they're easy. So Genesis chapter 22, by example, which Lucy read for us this morning, God tested Abraham. We are all kind of familiar with this kind of uncomfortable story. It's an uncomfortable story theologically for many of us. We don't really know what's going on. And I'm not going to tease all of that out this morning. But God tested Abraham because Abraham was tempted to worship the idol of his offspring. I'm, I'm very much like Abraham in that way. It is so easy to put my children before God. Abraham, he had a sign. Okay, hear this, and I'm not going to get too graphic. He had a sign cut into his flesh to remind him that his son was a gift, but he still needed more reminder. So God tested him. I can have all the reminders in the world, and still I love the gifts rather than the giver. I love to put my children or else my ability to accomplish God's purposes by my own strength above my surrender to God's power and purpose in my life, that he's going to do it. So with Abraham, I'm invited to burn my ministry this morning. Not because it's bad, but because I can make an idol out of it. The ministry that I longed for, that I raised up, that I love, that I grew up into maturity. Burn it and give it to me. Burn your dream job, burn up your perfect romance, offer up your greatest earthly joy to me, offer up even your own life. Jesus says, not because your life is invaluable. This is a heavy story. It's a testing story. It's an appropriate Lenten story for me, and I hope it is for you. The question is, do you love me? You shall have no other gods before me. This is maybe the ultimate question. God tested Abraham. Abraham put his faith in God, and God provided for him. And the story ends on the Mount of the Lord. In my moment of greatest distress, Abraham said, I will be seen by God. 
I'll be seen by God. In my moment of greatest distress, I'll be seen by Him. This uncomfortable story was followed by comfort in our lectionary, which we rehearsed in Psalm 16. And I'm just going to read it straight from the ESV. Hear these comfortable words. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures for every evermore. Happy Lent. Happy Lent. Tired, faithful Abraham, I could imagine him singing this psalm, this mictum of David. It wasn't written yet, but I can imagine him singing something like this. He goes to the mountain no longer to make a name for himself. He's done with that. And he goes to the mountain, the text says, to worship God. To worship God. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Abraham was seen by God on that mountain. This is how the story ends. He was seen by God. Elijah similarly was seen by God. And Moses was seen by God all on mountains. God saw them, but they had to shield their eyes. They couldn't see him. Many others would be seen by God on the mountain. And then right after our gospel reading, as we saw a couple weeks ago, Peter, James, and John... They were not only seen by God, but they saw the face of God on the mountain with Elijah and with Moses. But they weren't ready yet. They weren't ready yet to sacrifice their promised throne. Jesus says, you're going to rule with me on the 12 thrones like the 12 tribes. And they were ready for that, but they weren't ready to sacrifice that yet. Peter didn't want to bind up his earthly esteem. He wasn't ready to lay down his life Yet, do you love me? You shall have no other gods before me. Or as he says to Peter after the resurrection, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Let me tell you how you're going to die, Peter. God was patient with faithful Abraham. Thanks be to God. This is gospel. God was patient with powerful, foolhardy Peter. 
And God is patient with you and with me today. This Lent, this morning, every Sunday, every day, he's patient with us. So as we come, as we come in just a few minutes to kneel in confession this morning, I invite you to bind up your greatest anxiety. What is that thing that is causing you so much distress in your life? It can, it can be anxiety because of sinfulness, but it can also be something that is good that you're holding on to too much. I invite you to lay down your passionate pursuit, whatever that is. Whether that's your passions, like your sinful passions, please give up those things. But all those other things that you find your identity in above God, those good things, I invite you to lay those down. Come open your hand and let all those little loves release them. Let them die. Whether it's your love for your ministry, bind it up for your family or for friendship or for esteem or for romance or for success. What are those things that make you most anxious or most angry? Maybe they're an idol. Maybe they're getting in that place. Bind it up. Whatever it is, bring it in faith and lose it and it will be given back to you. Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. This is what we're invited to do. To trade our anxiety for joy. God loves you. He providentially leads us to the mountain to die, and it's something that we get to, we get to particularly pay attention to in this season of Lent. In His great mercy, He gives more and more and more capacity to love as we let our loves die. We can love so much more. What then shall we say to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.